Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Merrick Rosenberg. Merrick co-founded Team Builders Plus in 1991 and Take Flight Learning in 2012. He's the author of The Chameleon and co-author of Taking Flight, two books about personality styles. Merrick graduated from Drexel University, which named him as an Entrepreneur of the Year alumni. He's worked with more than half of the Fortune 100 companies in the U.S. and abroad. He's here today to talk about his book, The Chameleon. Welcome, Merrick. Hi, Bill. Merrick, it's great to have you on. One of the first things I ask guests to talk about is growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? You know, I'm going to have to go with two people, both my father and his father, my grandfather. They both had their own businesses. So I got to watch firsthand what it was like to be in control of your own destiny and drive your success. I got to see the challenges you face of a business owner as well, but, but both of them really laid a foundation for me. Can you remember an example of when you made a decision, maybe in college, maybe early in your career, that allowed you to look back on the example that either your father or grandfather set? And you can actually say, yes, I, I could see the influence that they had in making this career choice, maybe starting the business. I remember it was actually, I was an intern. I was in George Washington University down in DC. And I was, was my very first put on a suit kind of a job besides, you know, working in the mall or delivering ice cream. And I remembered walking in and watching morale was low. It was a very toxic environment. People did not get along. Everybody was talking negatively about the manager behind their back. And I, I literally said to myself, and this is why my father has his own business, that he can create the culture, he can run the company, he doesn't have to work in a toxic environment because the people loved it. People loved being there. And so I remembered thinking, wow, this is the power of being in control of your own destiny. And, and, and I think that set me on the path. I can really relate to that because my father trained as a biologist and worked as a chemist. And I always took that as an example because he would complain about not being able to do what he loved and what he had spent all this time doing. And it really set me on the course to say, I really want to create something that I could enjoy and I'm giving my best each day and loving that because it doesn't make sense to spend more than half your day and half your week doing something you don't enjoy, working with people that you may not get the, the most energy out of interacting with. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I talk to so many people at conferences and events when I'm speaking, and, and I think the one comment that I hear most often is, I can tell you love what you do. And I think that is like the ultimate compliment to me, because if you're living your passion, it should be shining through in everything that you do. Well, I know that you do a lot of training. I want to speak a little bit more about the book that you wrote, The Chameleon. What was the impetus or what sparked the idea to write this book and share it with people? And what did you hope that it would achieve? You know, so many people have learned about personality styles and learned about personality. I mean, millions of people are taking assessments every year, but you go back and you ask them, okay, 
Are you using it? Is it a part of your day-to-day life? Have you incorporated it into being an effective leader or salesperson or manager? And the answer overwhelmingly is no. And I wanted to create something that was just easier and more accessible that you could see yourself in it and apply it instantly. And it's really done that. I, I love going back to people who have worked with the, the styles that I've created and they go back years later and they're still using it. And, and that was the reason I wrote it was so that people could actually apply this stuff instead of learn about it and go, well, that was interesting. And then it's done. So let's give a quick synopsis of the birds, which are the types of uh, personalities that are the major categories that you talk about in the chameleon so that we have a reference point for people listening. Yeah. Instead of an alphabet soup of letters that we don't remember, I use four birds, as you said, and, and the first one is the eagle. So well, like we can have some fun here. So how about this? When, when you think of an eagle, if someone had the traits of an eagle, what comes to mind for you? Like, what do you think of when you think of someone, if somebody wears an eagle? I think of eagles as being uh, direct and purposeful and assertive. Yeah, that's it. All those characters. Yeah, results-oriented, you exactly have it. And that's the beauty of the birds, is I don't have to teach you something that you need to memorize, like a letter or a color. You already intuitively understand it. So let's do the next one. The next one is the parrot. When you think of a parrot, what comes to mind for you? Someone who's, (laughs) not someone, but an animal that's a good listener, can, someone who's trainable, yeah, and um, and they're they're talkative too, right? I mean, you don't you don't yes. picture a parrot as being very quiet. <laughs> they, yeah, that's true. They've got a lot of energy, and they're colorful, and they're charismatic, and they're enthusiastic, and so exactly. I mean, you picture a parrot, you have it. The, the next one is a dove. When you think of a dove, what comes to mind? The first thing is peaceful. Exactly right. I mean, it's the universal symbol of peace and harmony and hope and compassion, and that's what the doves are. I mean, they they care about others, and and then finally. The, the owl. When you think of an owl, what comes to mind? Uh, someone who is very quiet as opposed to the parrot. And yeah. someone who's reflective. Absolutely. Introverted. They're, they're thoughtful and they're logical and they're analytical and they have details and plans. So the beauty of the four birds is I don't even need to teach them to people. They're so intuitive. You get that the eagle's all about results and the parrot's talkative and social and the dove's harmonious and compassionate and the owls are logical and analytical. Uh, so, so instead of spending my time in training programs or conference talks teaching them about the styles, I'm spending my time talking about how to apply them in your life. Well, that's really interesting, especially now that we're in kind of the pandemic lockdown period. How can people, you know, I'm sure that you're still working with people and training them how to apply these and get the most benefit out of it. Can you give me an example of a company that you're working with that's found value in being able to share this common language with their team members and use it to help encourage each other? use it to help orient the company towards doing more productive things during this time. Sure. I I can think of an organization down in Washington, D.C. It's a nonprofit organization. They have about 200 people. And we taught them how to understand the bird styles. And it's been amazing because they're very, very owl and dove oriented culture. But I'm thinking of their their CEO, Bill is is his first name. And Bill, Bill is a strong eagle. So picture a strong, confident eagle. How much detail do you think he provides to his company? Not very much. But what he realized was that, you know, when I'm sending out information or I'm talking about what's happening, I can't just say, bottom line, here's what we're doing. 
I need to be empathetic because I have a lot of doves. I need to be detailed because I have a lot of owls. And during this time, during this this time of COVID-19, he realized he just can't say, okay, folks, bottom line, here's what we're doing to keep the the, the wheels on the bus as we as we try to keep this company going. He realized, he said, you know, I need, I recognize that I needed to talk to people and I needed to say, how are you doing? I hope everything's okay. He said, I opened up every conversation with how's your family. He's like, I would usually jump right to the end and be like, bottom line, like, here's what we got to do. But, but he was, he, it was fascinating to watch because he, he learned that he had to be flexible and he couldn't just be in eagle mode all the time. One of the critiques that a lot of personality tests get is that people aren't just one type or another, that we're more complex than that. Does your model allow for that added depth in order to understand how people interact and react in different situations? Everybody's a combination of all four of those to varying degrees. In fact, we have all have a little bit of everything, but there's probably one or two which are like home base for you. And if you pictured somebody like a, a Richard Branson, he clearly has a tremendous amount of that parrot style, but he's got some secondary eagle too. He's pretty assertive. If you think of somebody like maybe Mark Cuban, from Shark Tank, he's, he's got that eagle style, but he's got secondary owl. You know, somebody like a Bill Gates is more of an owl with some secondary dove in there, all that philanthropy that he does now. So absolutely, we're not just one style. We're a combination of all four, but there's probably one or two which are like home base for us. And when you say home base, I imagine that there's a, a dominant and a secondary way that we relate to others. And do you find that the way that people relate using these personality styles changes when they're home, changes when they're at work? Sometimes. I mean, for some people, I am who I am. I'm the same at home. I'm the same at work. Wherever I go, you get what you get. But there are other people who have a different public persona versus a private persona. I mean, I'll give you in the political world, I'll give you just an example. Take two people, and I always like to be bipartisan here, and you know, somebody like Bob Dole and an Al Gore. In public, they had a very much of an owl persona. They were very logical and very constrained. But for both of them, when people talked about their private self, they sounded more parrot-like. They were both described as very funny and very personable and very relaxed. So sometimes what we project in public is different than in private. And that's often true for CEOs because they feel like I need to have this CEO air about me. And so they sometimes will dial up certain maybe eagle energy in the workplace versus how they are at home. Now, dialing it up is different than seeking to change your style. What do you say to people who say, well, if I want to be promoted, I've got to be an eagle and I'm really more of an owl, for instance? If you do that, you're going to be exhausted every day. Uh, and an example I would use for people is imagine you're going to speak on stage. You have this one person who loves it and another person who's like, eh, not so much. It, it is the number one fear, public speaking. So the person who loves it gets on stage, does a great job, gets off stage, is, and is even more energized because they it feel the energy of the group and it feeds them. Take the person who doesn't love it. They can go on stage and knock it out of the park. But when they get off stage, they will be exhausted. And what that means is that Yes, you can display any behavior, but if you're working out of your style, it's going to exhaust you. So if you have to live in a role that is not who you are, that is displaying behaviors that aren't natural for you, can you do it? Sure. 
but you're going to go home exhausted every day. And, and you know, you had mentioned in the beginning, you got to have a job that feeds you. Well, I would always say find a job that feeds your personality, not just your interests, because if it feeds your personality, you're wired for it and it will be easy. If you're not wired for it, it will be exhausting. Well, that's a really important point. I think a lot of people listening have been exposed to what makes for a useful uh, way to interpret personality types. And I think there are some people who may not have heard the message about the importance of being self-aware, of realizing that we all present a certain way, whether you've never heard of this model or not before. And how is it that we can, what are a couple of ways that people listening can start to become more aware of the personality style that they are? I always say that there's the most important step is you first have to know yourself, right? The most self-aware people are the happiest and most successful people. So tune into the behaviors that you're exhibiting. And you can start to see them in, in small places, like take an email, for example. Are your emails direct one-liners? Then you're probably more eagle-like. Does every email you send start off with, hi, how are you? I hope everything's okay. And that's showing you, you probably have a lot of dove energy. If your emails have 15 bullets with attachments and subsections and details, you've probably, you're probably an owl. If you are overusing an exclamation point, like, hi, exclamation point, hope everything's okay, exclamation point, uh, that's probably a sign that you're an owl, or I'm sorry, that you're a parrot. So, so what I would say is start tuning into your behaviors so that you can start to see how you're impacting the people around you, because your style is absolutely having an effect on those who report to you if you're a manager or customers or salespeople, you're, it's impacting your success. Merrick, I imagine that you get a lot of thrill out of seeing people awaken to the kind of personality that they are. Can you share with me a story about what it was like training a group and the impact that it had as they started to not only get cognitively what the model was, but start to interact with each other more effectively because it started to become more aware of how other people um, liked to receive information and how they were being viewed and received by their their peers. Yeah, I'll give you an example of a, of a pharmaceutical group. So it was a group of pharmaceutical sales reps outside of the Philadelphia area. And it's about 20, not only this were the sales reps there, but also the account managers were there. And what was fascinating to watch was it was like they lived in two different worlds. And there was so much conflict in that group because you had these sales reps who were overwhelmingly parrots. They go out, they're knocking on doors, literally showing up at a doctor's office and, and uh, with a tray of food and, and schmoozing. And, and they've got so much parrot energy. And then back in the workplace, you've got an entire team of owls documenting everything, tracking everything, sending out everything. And, and you can imagine the owls are driving the parrots crazy because they're like, oh, like, why do they need all this information from me? Can't they just do it? Can't they do their job? And the parrots are driving the owls crazy because they're like, don't they know we need this information? How, how am I going to help them? And it, it didn't take very long. Within a few minutes, it was like the light bulbs were going off. It was like, wait a minute, we're the parrots. We're the owls. And in fact, isn't that a good thing? The fact that you're willing to go out there and knock on those doors, I wouldn't do it as an owl. And isn't it great that you're willing to track all this data and make sure things happen behind the scenes? I wouldn't like doing that as the parrot. So it was just so powerful to watch those light bulbs go off and the realization of, yes, you're different than I am. And that's a good thing. And it changed 
judgment to acceptance. And, and you can imagine just what that did to the culture of that team. It almost in a couple hours, that it just changed everything. Merrick, the other thing that I hear in there is just appreciating what you contribute and appreciating what others are contributing in their role as well as individually. It's so important to have that self-awareness, which we talked about earlier, so that you can appreciate what others are doing that you really wouldn't want to be doing. Absolutely. I always say, look, staff your weakness. If you have someone who's different from you and they can fill in the gaps of those things that you don't like to be doing, value that and appreciate it as opposed to judge them because they can't do what you can do. It's honor their skills. And that's how we, when people compliment each other, people always talk about opposites. I always say, look, they're, they're not opposites, they're compliments. The people who are different from you, they offer you a complimentary skill set, and you should be reveling in that because they're making your life easier. So true. I imagine that a lot of conflict that people encounter superficially, <laughs> that they encounter superficially as well as repetitively, has to do with being puzzled as to how other people prioritize actions that are taken and follow-up that needs to happen. Without a doubt. I'll give you an example. I had, I had two folks who came to me and they were, it was an engineering firm and they, they both came to me and they said, it was at a, a training program. They said, we have to just tell you about an interaction that we had that, that at the time we both walked away from and we were like, oh, this was so frustrating. And now they were like, boy, it makes a lot of sense. And, and it was basically you had one person who was the VP of sales and the other person was the CFO. And the CFO had asked the sales guy, I need to get some data for projections. We're doing budgeting. I need to figure out where we're going. And the VP of sales, his response was, next year is going to be big. <laughs> this was, and and the, 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 you know, the, the CFO is like, I can't put big into a spreadsheet. I can't, I can't create projections off of big. <laughs> and so they, they realized that from the, the priority of, of the CFO is data. The priority of the, the sales guy is get out there, close big deals. <laughs> it's not about data. But they realized they weren't even talking the same language and they were laughing about it when they come up to me, came to me and they were like, wow, we now understand exactly why that conversation played out the way it did. And we need to meet somewhere in the middle. And I think when people are laughing about it in recognition of the difficulties and the divides and the necessary tools that are needed to bridge those divides, it's a lot easier to build those bridges and make those connections rather than when you're viewing them with suspicion or viewing them with resentment. And I think that makes it something that people could look at, embrace, and suddenly realize, you know, it's not that serious. They're not an evil, wicked person for not accepting your enthusiasm, for instance. It, absolutely. Exactly right. I, I, there's a Krishnamurti quote, which I love, which says, observing others without judgment is the highest form of human intelligence. That if we can observe people without judging them, how powerful that is. And when you can laugh about it, and, and I think that is what happens. I mean, people, people come up to me and they share stories of just how the birds play out in their marriage, uh, just like the parrot who just sticks things in the dishwasher and the owl's like, no, there's a system. <laughs> you must follow the system. And when you can laugh about that in your personal life and in the workplace, it just, it removes all that judgment. All the judgment goes away and it gets replaced with acceptance. So I bet another thing that people listening to this are wondering is whether people that say that someone's in sales and there's someone who might, I would guess, be have a lot of parrot characteristics if they're being successful and it's energizing them. I bet that they're wondering, 
do I have to share this whole system in order to use it, in order to adapt to the styles that I recognize and notice? What would you say to that? Well, when I go into an organization where every single person has a, a literally a desktop bird sitting on their desk and everybody knows what the birds mean and you walk into someone's office and you see an eagle sitting there literally looking back at you, you know you better be brief, be brilliant, and be gone. <laughs> Just get to the point and tell them what they need to know. Versus if you walk in and see that owl sitting there, you know you need to provide a lot of detail. And so, yes, it's incredibly powerful when everybody is speaking the same language, but let's face it, not everyone you encounter, even if everyone in your organization was trained on this, not everyone you encounter, your vendors, your clients, are gonna understand and know their bird style. So you have to be able to meet somebody and read their style fast. And if you can read their style, then you can be what I refer to as the chameleon and flex to them, satisfy their needs, because when they get their needs met, you get your needs met. And that's really the goal is to educate people so that they're aware of these styles and can use them to be more productive and to gain an advantage in awareness and relating and to build better relationships, isn't it? Yeah, because once you understand yourself, then you no longer impose your personality on others. And that's where it gets powerful. And I'll give you an example. If you, if you picture a parrot delegating work to an owl, what we tend to do is we tend to treat others how we would want to be treated. So if I'm delegating to you, imagine I'm a parrot, you're an owl, and I walk into your office and I say, all right, Bill, I've got a project for you. It's new. It's exciting. It's different. Here's your goal. Here's when I need it. Any questions? Now, if you're an owl, what are you thinking about that? <laughs> Does that work for you? That really wouldn't, would it? It would. It would. The owl would want to see a lot more detail and understand, you know, the benefits and how it ties into things. Yeah, and and yet I'm saying to myself, hey, I've been reading books about motivating and empowering people. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is my goal. It's to motivate people and empower them because I'm, I'm, that's what I would want. So how do I delegate? I delegate how I'd want to be delegated to. And, yeah. and you can and flip that around. Mistake. Yeah. And you can flip it around and picture if I walked into a parrot's office and I'm like, so specifically, here's what I'd like you to do. First, I need you to do this, this, and this. Now, as you're going through the process, in fact, I created a spreadsheet for you because parrots <laughs> love spreadsheets. You know, I'm, I'm treating that parrot that way because I'm trying to set them up for success, but yet they're gonna feel micromanaged. So by understanding the styles, especially as leaders, we stop imposing them on our people and we treat them the way they would wanna be treated, which takes a little bit of energy in that flexing, but it's just flexing our style just for an interaction so they get their needs met. Merrick, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Let's do it, bring it on. All right, so earlier I asked you about a person who inspired you growing up and you talked about your dad and grandfather. When you were a teenager, what's a song that inspired you? You know, there was always a song which I loved, and it was called uh, What About Me by Moving Pictures. I know this is a strange request or, or a strange uh, <laughs> pick, but I always thought that, like, you know, people listen to that song and they're like, what about me? It, it's like the lines are like, what about me? It isn't fair. And I'm always like, why isn't it fair? If it's not fair, then just make it happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you if you want something to happen in your life, just do it. It's not unfair. Manage it, take control, and you get what you want to get. So I, I, it's funny because it was almost like the words kind of annoyed me. Like, it's, no, it's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question is a pretty good follow-up to that. 
if you could put a slogan or message about your work on a billboard that every small business leader needed to go past each day, and I imagine now the billboard would be outside a lot of people's living rooms. <laughs> what would you put on the billboard? <laughs> you know, as a parent, I love to be positive, but I have to say, I'm going to word this one in the negative, which is don't impose your personality on others. It's what we do all the time. We don't even realize we're doing it. And it sends such a bad message. It's almost saying you need to be more like me. You need to have my needs and you need to act like I act. And, and I, would, I want people to get it. Don't impose your personality on others. What's the best $100 purchase you've made in the last six months? Oh, you know, I play guitar and, you know, I've always, always wanted to play piano. And my son plays piano. So we have a music room and, and he's just amazing. And I thought, you know, I just always wish I could do that. And so I downloaded an app that, that is a, here's how you teach yourself how to, you know, it teaches you how to play piano. And I, and I'm actually doing it. I, I mean, I, you know, I've got a long way to go. I, I think I'm done like lesson 20 out of 350. So, <laughs> but, but it actually was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> That's fabulous. Now, what would you say is the most important habit? routine or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? When I travel, I, and I'm often on the road, I speak at a lot of conferences, I always had a belief that it's really hard to stay healthy on the road. It's hard to eat well on the road. It's hard to get exercise on the road. And you know what? That is just not true. Everywhere I go now, I started practicing yoga. I've been doing yoga for a long time, but everywhere I go, I find a yoga studio. And the benefits of that are amazing because not only do I get in a, a good workout, but after you just did a nice yoga workout, you're not going to go eat food that's bad for you. So now I'm eating healthier. I'm working out better on the road. And I've just changed that, that paradigm of, you know what? You can take care of yourself on the road. It takes a little bit of work ahead of time. You got to find a yoga studio before I hit the road. But, but I, I no longer hold that belief that, that it's hard. You just have to, you have to put the energy out there. I love that you found that there are ripple effects to practicing yoga when you're traveling in that you're now more conscious and committed to eating well and probably bring a lot more energy into your day if you start off your day doing sun salutations. Uh, that's, that's really, really powerful to find that out. Yeah, it's, it's been great. And plus, I'll often find just a studio that practices some form of yoga I've never tried before. So I'm having these incredible experiences. So it's empowering. I'm getting in shape. I'm eating better. And I'm, I'm enjoying it. That's great. When you think about the chameleon and, and how long it took you to write it, what's something that you were surprised at what happened in the process of writing it down. You started out to write a book and you had a lot of experiences with it. And then I'm sure during the process, you learned something. What's something that you learned as a result of writing the book? The thing that surprised me the most is that the book is a collection of 22 fables. So each fable set in the woods between different characters. Like an example is uh, you may have the, the parrot and the owl. I'm a parrot. My wife is the owl. And my wife came up to me one day and she said, you know, I love how you live your life. You're so spontaneous. You, you just, everything you do, you just, you're willing to just go find a yoga studio and just have fun when you're on the road and hike a mountain by yourself. She said, I'm going to, I'm going to add spontaneity into my life. So I, here's what I'm going to do. I've decided every Tuesday is going to be spontaneity day. <laughs> I thought you do see the irony in that, right? <laughs> but what, what I learned was every time I was writing a fable, I kept feeling like, wow, this one's it. I have no idea what the next fable is going to be. And I literally did not know what the next fable would be 
until I finished one. And within a day, the next one appeared to me. Like my wife would say, I'm going to declare every Tuesday spontaneity day. And I'm like, that's it. And it was like, I just had to have faith that I didn't have to plan it all, that it would arise when it needed to arise if I allowed that space to be open to it. And while I was in the space of writing, my mind was busy. So it, nothing new appeared to me, just the fable I was writing. But when I finished it, it was like clockwork. The next one appeared and it happened for every single one of those fables, 22 times. As soon as I finished one, the next one was right there for me. That's very post throw. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You may not know what the steps beyond are like, but you know that if you take these next couple of steps, you can see where it's going to lead. And you may not be able to see around the corner, but you have confidence and faith that it's going to lead you to a place that's desirable and beneficial. So you take those steps. Yeah, it's just have faith in the process. I mean, if you think about even just starting a business, it's you just have you can only do one thing at a time and you just have have to have that faith of I'm going to do this and then I will do the next thing that needs to be done and before long things will be moving. Well, Merck, you've shared so many great ideas with us on my quest for the best, starting with the way that you were inspired to really take control of your destiny by your father and grandfather, reminding us that if we think about the four different personality types, it's important to be able to recognize and use as a tool for being able to connect well with each other and to build better relationships. Understanding about using the personality types and realizing that everyone has them. And it's kind of fun to look at different personalities, different business leaders, different politicians, and being able to see who they are dominantly and maybe as a secondary role. You talked about how important it is to stay true to who your personality style is, even though you could flex and adapt to others, but it's just exhausting if you try to masquerade as someone else. It's a reminder to us to remember that each of us is unique, and that's something that we bring to our organizations. And you remind us to staff your weakness. And that's a really big point to not only appreciate, but also to build a team around you that can compensate and help you get the work done based upon what their strengths are in an area that you don't want to develop those skills or interests, but it's perfectly natural to the person who you're assigning that responsibility. And being able to observe others without judgment was a great quote with Christian Murthy. And then lastly, you reminded us how having faith in taking the steps is something that's really powerful and can lead to all sorts of accomplishments as well as relationships and greater enrichment in our lives. So for all these reasons and more, Merrick Rosenberg, author of The Chameleon, I want to thank you so much for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Bill. And Merrick, before we say goodbye for now, can you tell us where we can find out more about how to get in touch with you and the work that you do online? If you go to takeflightlearning.com, uh, you can see all the training programs uh, that we offer, the assessments, and the books, and everything's there. And we were speaking earlier, you had mentioned that there's a number that people can text. And if they text information to that number, which we'll put in the show notes, they'll be able to get some additional resources that are beyond what they see on that webpage. Is that right? Yeah, if they want to take like a little mini profile and, and get a sense of what their, their style is, which bird are you? If you text the word birds, B-I-R-D-S, it's a short code. It's a texting code. Just text birds to 345-345 and you can take a little mini assessment. Well, thanks again for sharing that. I'm sure the listeners of My Quest for the Best appreciate that. And I hope that they take you up on it because self-knowledge is really powerful. Well, thank you again. 
Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.